We talked last time about uh, some of the things that make parenting a particular challenge, and especially in light of our current culture. And yet, how can we not be encouraged in this holy calling of parenting? God is on our side. Who gave you your children? It wasn't the, it wasn't the um, OBGYN guy. I mean, the nurse maybe handed that baby to you, but who gave you your children? Children are a heritage of the Lord. God gave them to you. And he didn't give them to you and then turn around and walk away and say, good luck. God doesn't believe in luck. Okay, there's no such thing. So we shouldn't either. But he didn't hand you those children and then turn around and walk away and say, have at it. Hope it turns out well. No, God is on our side in this work of parenting. So how can we not be on our knees and be like the importunate widow who was about to wear the judge out with her continual coming until he granted a request? How can we not be like that for our children? Especially when we remember that the goal of our parenting ultimately is the conversion of our children. And even beyond that, it's the glory of God. Whether then you eat or drink, or, well, thank you, I'm, you guys need to be engaged here, okay? Whether you eat or drink or Amen. parent or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The glory of God is at stake in the way we parent our children. It's at stake in everything. Let's not take parenting and set it over here and say, that doesn't have anything to do with the glory of God. It has everything to do. With the glory of God. It's not primarily the happiness or success of our children. It's not our reputation. How dare you embarrass me? What? That's not the issue. It's not just having nice, mannerly children. It's having children that know and love and trust the Savior, and only God can work that in them. And the glory of it is that God does not call us to parenting and then just leave us to hang. There is grace to be had. And you'll see me do this over and over again throughout this parenting class. And all I've done is taken scriptures that are at least to some degree familiar to us. And I've just inserted parenting where it's appropriate in those scriptures. So take uh, Colossians 1, 9 to 12, for example. For this reason also, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Class. For parenting in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And don't we need that? We need spiritual wisdom and understanding to know what to do and how to do it with these little kids that God has put in our homes. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, including parenting and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. And don't we need that? Oh, my goodness. If ever anybody needed steadfastness and patience, it's in the work of parenting. True? Yeah, true. So... So we're not we're not we're not on our own here. We've not been left to fight this battle to to weave our way through the the myriad 
what's the word I'm looking for? Twisty, turny paths of parenting all by ourselves. We are not. God is with us in this task. And so we need to spend a lot of time crying out to him for um, that, that wisdom and knowledge that we need. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about the role of parents who we are and what are we to do. And I want to start with the ridiculously obvious, but it needs to be said. We are the parents. Hello? (laughs) We are the parents. That may seem like the obvious, but it's really not anymore. A number of years ago when the Duke of Windsor from England was um, in America, somebody asked him what impressed him most about America And he replied, the way American parents obey their children. You've seen it, right? You've seen it in the aisle in Walmart? Uh, Okay, this this has been true for decades. I used to work as a stalker at Bilo Grocery Store in Greenville, South Carolina. Bilo's not around here. It's a big chain in South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, and uh, they might even be in Tennessee. And I worked the cereal aisle. Oh, my goodness, was that a theological education in the nature of children to work the cereal aisle way back when there was always some prize to be had in the box of cereal. And so parents would be pushing their kids down the cereal aisle and little Johnny's or Susie or I need to come up with new names. My wife tells me all the time because it's always Johnny and Susie. So how about Fred and Ethel? Little Freddie sitting in the cart. Well, you don't like Fred and Ethel? Lucy and Ricky. Oh, that's right. Fred and Ethel. Yeah, okay. It doesn't matter. The little boy sitting in the cart, and and he's and mom's going out, and the hands are going out. To, no, you can't. No, no. We've already got all the cereal we need, and the hands keep going out. And guess who wins? Johnny, Fred, Bill, Bob, Susie, Jane, Sissy. They all, they won. Rare were the parents who were the parents. The kids won all the time, almost all the time. So, yeah, the way American parents obey their children. Let's not be confused about this. We are the parents. And what I'm going to say, this next sentence, I don't mean it in a, in a harsh, cruel, um, unbending, legalistic, pharisaical kind of way, but we are the parents We make the rules. We call the shots. We draw the lines. We make the decisions. We determine the schedules. We have the authority. Don't lose sight of that. Does that mean we never listen to our children? Of course not. Does that mean we never give them something they're asking for? Of course not. But who rules the roost in your your home? Who determines... I get in trouble with this one. Who determines bedtime? I'm amazed at the number of parents who say, we can't get our kids to go to bed. Really? Put them down. If they get back up, put them down. And you tell them, if you get back up again, you're going to get a swat. We'll talk about that later. 
And so you got to win that. You got to you got to be stronger than they are. You've got to win the battles, because if you don't win the battles when they're this big. There's there's hardly a snowball's chance in July that you win the battle when they're this big. So we are the parents. Um, when when you've made a new acquaintance, a new neighbor, somebody new at church, at a ball game, the league your kids play in, the conversation usually turns, what do you do? Right? Common question to ask. How many of you have ever answered that question? I'm a parent. What do you do? I'm a parent. I'm a dad. I'm a mom. And I work at rearing my children. I work for France Building Services, or I work for, what's your outfit? RBI. RBI, or I work for Domtar, or I work for whomever to pay the bills and to put clothes on my kids' back and food in their stomachs. But I'm a dad. That's what I do. I'm a mom. We don't think like that, do we? Anybody ever answer the que- that question that way? I never used to either. But it, it struck me one day when I was thinking about all this parenting stuff that what am I? I'm a parent. I'm a dad. I'm a mom. So who are we? When we talk about um, our role as parents, who are we? What do we do? We are the parents, not the kids. What do you do? I'm a dad. I'm a mom. Number two, we are the primary evangelists in the lives of our children. And I want us to understand this from the outset, that our ultimate goal in bringing them up, and we've said this before, is to see them converted. You remember what Paul said to Timothy, Timothy 3, 14 and 15, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. From whom did he learn them? Saying to one five, for I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, Paul writes to Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Where did Timothy get it? From his mother and from his grandmother. Where should our children be getting the gospel more than any other single source? More than school, if they happen to go to a Christian school. More than Sunday school, if they have a Sunday school class. More than summer Bible camp, if they go to Bible camp. Where should they be getting the gospel more than any place else on the face of the earth? They ought to be getting it from you. Day after day after day after day. And that's what we're after. We're after the souls of our children. And if your children are not yet converted, there's still a great deal you can do to train them and mold them and shape them prior to conversion. And it's often the case that God uses that early training in their lives as one of the means to bring about their conversion. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. Some sowed, some watered. Who gave the increase? God, 
gives the increase. So, may we be diligent to sow and water and trust God for the increase to bring our children to actual faith in Christ. You may not, you may not be the, the precise instrument that God used at the moment your child comes to faith in Christ, but you as a parent have a profound influence on your children for the sake of the gospel by how you live and by what you say. And we'll talk about this later, how you live will either affirm or deny what you say. Uh, That's basic. That's so simple. But it's true. A couple of resources that will be helpful to you in working through the conversion of children. And that's that's sometimes a tricky thing because you can get your kids to say to or agree to anything. I am not the Pied Piper, okay? I am not the Wizard of Oz. But you put all those elementary kids in that chapel right next door here, and I could get them to agree to almost anything. I could. So, thinking about the conversion of our children sometimes is challenging because you want them to come to faith and repentance early. As, as young as they can with real biblical understanding. And you don't want to discourage them from believing. But you don't want to assume too much because faith is not always genuine. So a couple of resources that might help with that. A book by Dennis Gunderson has been around for a long time called Your Child's Profession of Faith. Uh, you want them to take this and look at it, but please don't take it home. Copy down the info and you can order it. Or, we'd be, or just put your name on this list. I've got a, I've got a book order form up here. You can put your name here in the title of the book you want, and we'll make sure you get it before the end of um, the six-week six-week class. Um, so that's very helpful. And Pastor Ted, who's been in heaven now for just a little bit over a year, uh, wrote a book called "Forbidden Them Not," just a little booklet. It's primarily dealing with the baptism and church membership of children, but there's really helpful stuff in here about the conversion. Of children, which needs to come prior to baptism and church membership. Okay, so and we've got we've got a bunch of these. If you really want one, I'll just give you one. Don't tell Mark Redfern I said that. Okay, um, so if you want one of these, just let me know, and I'll I'll bring a stack up next week. Um, so those are helpful about the conversion of your children, but. That's what we're after. We're the primary evangelists in the lives of our children. Many other influences will come to bear. I hope we have an influence on the kids who come to our school every single day in those planned moments and in those spontaneous moments to give them the gospel. But you as a parent are the primary evangelist in the lives of your children. Number three, we are the primary intercessors for our children. You can discipline your child more faithfully than anyone. You can teach him or her more diligently than anyone. You can set the best example before them. You can love them more than anybody else. You can get them to memorize the catechism and scriptures far faster than anybody else, but you cannot change their hearts. You can't do it. We can't change the hearts of the students that sit in front of us every day at school. Man, would I love to be able to reach down in there and manipulate that heart and change it around. But we can't. That is God's business. 
But you know what? You can have business with God about changing the hearts of your children. Only God can do that, but you that's his business, but you can have business with God about that very thing. Think about <clears throat> um, think about all the stuff your children will have to go through on their way to adulthood. It makes how many of you have ever seen the movie First Night? An old movie. Who's the who's the guy? Richard Gere? Did you see him run the gauntlet in that movie? Remember that scene? He's 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 trying to impress Queen Guinevere. And they have this big long contraption set up with whirling balls and and swords that pop up like this and axes swinging back and forth and really ugly, nasty looking weapons just ready to knock you silly and and cut you in two and kill you. And these guys are getting all suited up to run the gauntlet and they're wearing these great big pads and helmets and stuff. He's looking at this thing and he's trying to analyze it and he sees the queen sitting up there next to King Arthur and he just jumps up on the thing and runs the gauntlet and makes it safely through. Impossible. And the crowd is just blown away that he did that. It's actually a pretty good movie. You ought to watch it sometime. Run the gauntlet. The stuff our kids have to navigate safely through is kind of like running the gauntlet. And think about all the snares and traps and seductions and pitfalls and and all the deceptions and lies and how will they resist all the temptations and keep their heads about them in a world gone crazy and how they sort out right from wrong and how will they develop discernment and choose friends wisely and manage all the technology safely how is it that they will one day make the faith of their mothers and fathers their own? That will only happen as God works in their hearts. And we have access to God through fervent, persistent, believing prayer. And I think we ought to be very specific and pointed in our prayers for our children. Don't just, don't just pray, Lord, save my kids. I mean, please do pray that. But don't, that's not all you pray. I remember... <clears throat> Really, like it was yesterday. That's not just an expression. That's real. Remember last time I showed you the picture of my wife and me when our boys were about 8 and 10? <laughs> I, had, I had hair and my beard was dark. And, and my wife looked exactly the same. And our boys were just like this. And then I showed you a picture of our whole family. All 237 of us. All 11 grandchildren, our boys and their wives. It happened that fast. So I remember it like it was yesterday. Standing over the crib. Every night. And then over the bed. And then outside the bedroom door. As they got older. Asking God not only to save those boys but to protect him from the powers of darkness and the laws of the devil, to keep them from evil companions and influences, to keep them from getting involved in drugs and pornography, to keep them from a life of abandonment to sin, to deliver them from pride, to give them wisdom, to give them a love for God's word, to keep them sexually pure, to prepare them for their life's mate, to prepare a mate for them, on and on and on. 
pray very specifically for your children. Ask God to keep them from all that stuff. Not that you have to name that whole list every night. But you better be naming lists. And asking God to keep our children. We ought to be very specific in our prayers for them. We are the primary intercessors for our children. And I say primary because nobody will have a heart for your children like you will. I think we have a heart for your kids that come here. But it's not like your heart for your children. So be the primary intercessor for your children. And beg God for their conversion. Number four, we are the primary role models for our children. Like it or not, we are. It's like being parents, we're the good ones or bad ones. We're role models. We're either good ones or bad ones. But we are role models for our children. One of the worst things you can say to your child is don't do as I do, do as I say. That will destroy everything you've ever said. Proverbs 4.11 I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. Work that out a little bit in your brain. I have led you in upright paths. How do you lead a child? Do you stand behind him? And say, go that way, go that way, go that way, go over there. Stop, stop, wait, go. No. You lead them. You take them by the hand. And you're in front of them. Or beside them. And you're doing what they are doing. Ahead of them. You're modeling it for them. Proverbs 23, 26. Give me your heart, my son. And let your eyes delight in my ways. Work that one out a little bit. Let your eyes delight in my ways. My ways is the way I live. It's how I do things. It's where I go. It's what I do. It's what I think. Let your eyes delight in my ways. My ways have to be worth delighting in. Right? And he's got to see it. To come to delight in it. So, let your eyes delight in my ways is another way of saying, watch my life. Watch me. Let your eyes delight in my ways. Watch me. Let, me. let me help you work that out a little bit. Without a hint of boastful, a boastful arrogance, this father says, watch my speech. Watch what I do when we're on vacation. Watch me in the face of trial and hardship. Watch me as I respond to unjust criticism. Anybody here never had unjust criticism? You react to it? Do your children watch you react to it? What do they see? I can't believe that guy ever said that. He ought to, that guy ought to go to jail. I hope he, I, ah, man, that was so dirty. Do 
Wow, Dad. You just you just burned something in his brain. Watch me respond to unjust criticism. Watch me when others give me credit for something. Watch how I am when I don't think anybody else is watching. How are you when nobody else is watching? Son, delight in my, let your eyes delight in my ways when nobody else is watching me. Watch me how I am at home and in public. Watch how I spend my free time. Watch my work ethic. <laughs> my dad, my dad never sat me down and said, son, here's how you work. Never did. But boy, did I learn how to work. We had a family greenhouse, been in my family for 100 years. And we worked in that thing from the time we were able to carry a pot of flowers. He never told me. I mean, he would tell me how to do a particular job, but he never told me, son, this is a work ethic. But I saw it, I saw it, I saw it every day in my dad. Watch how the fear of the Lord works itself out in my life. Watch how I fight against sin and resist temptation. Watch how quickly I change the channel on the TV when it's inappropriate. Watch my repentance when I fall. Watch how quickly I acknowledge my wrong and ask for forgiveness. Watch how I love and respect and treat your mother or moms. Watch how I love and respect and honor your dad. Watch me. Watch how faithful I am to my friends. Watch how I give myself to the word of God. Watch how I strive to exercise self-control when it would be so easy to blow my top and just lose it all. It, it, isn't it good that we said, watch my repentance when I fall? <laughs> because we lose it and we fail a thousand times. But is that the end? Have we ruined it all? No, watch my repentance when I fall. And watch how I lay hold of the forgiveness that Jesus extends. Watch how I put others before myself. Watch how heartily I enter into worship. May I say something to you dads? I watch men in our congregation. I watch them sing and my heart sinks. Christ alone, cornerstone, da da da, da da da. Is that all worship means to you? The women sing better than the men, at least by observation. Come on, dads, watch my son, my daughter, watch. How delighted I am to worship God with all my heart.
Watch me. Don't worry, I'm not going to belt that song out, okay? That's an example. <laughs> Have no fear. Watch how I hardly enter into worship. Watch now I govern very carefully what is on the TV. Watch how careful I am to spend time with God every day in prayer and in His Word. Watch, watch how I keep my promises. Watch how we as a family make principled decisions. Watch how we have fun. Dude, watch how we have fun. We ought to have fun better than anybody else on the planet. Because we have fun to the glory of God and He gave us all that's Crazy cool stuff to have fun with. Watch how I have fun. Watch how I guard my eyes and my tongue. Watch how we acknowledge God in absolutely everything. An old guy that most of you have never heard of said, To give children good instruction and a bad example is but beckoning to them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them in the way to hell. Wow. To give children good instruction and a bad example. So, my son, my son, let your eyes delight in my ways. You see, you see it. You get the point? You'll never have the hearts of your children if they can't delight in your ways. We're parents, we're evangelists, we're intercessors, we're role models. That's a tall order, an impossible order apart from grace. But in the fifth place, parents are teachers. We're going to camp here for a while. And we may not get through all of this tonight. If we don't, we'll come back to it next week. But I want to, I want to spend some time here. Parents are teachers. And parents are teachers not because... They've been to college and got a degree. Parents are teachers not because they're gifted to teach. Parents are teachers because they are parents. A father is a teacher because he has children. A mother is a teacher because she has children. Not because they've been to college and earned a degree, but because they've been to the hospital and had a baby. Period. End of discussion. Anybody in here not have children? Okay, you all are teachers. Every last one of you. How many of you have a teaching degree? One, two, three, four, five. Cool. Big deal. The rest of you are teachers. <laughs> Just as much as those tooty snoot people with degrees to make them teachers. You're not. Just... I'm trying to make a point that if you're a parent, you're a teacher. You may not make a living by teaching, but if you're a parent, you're a teacher. So you may never excuse yourself from teaching your children because you don't think you're gifted to teach. If you're a parent, you're a teacher. Now, I want to take you through Proverbs. <clears throat> and Proverbs, where we've gotten all this stuff tonight. We're just, we're just pulling out from Proverbs all this stuff about being a parent. And being a father and a mother, I want to take you through Proverbs to see how this father and or mother taught his son and or daughter. Most of what Proverbs says about parenting, it says in terms of fathers. There's over 50 references to fathers. 
or to a father's word to a son in the book of Proverbs. Mothers are not absent. There are 13 references to mothers in these 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. But the weight of the book goes to fathers. And the reason is simple. Fathers are heads of their homes. They're responsible for what goes on in their home. The buck stops here. The buck stops with dad. Does that mean mom's off the hook? Absolutely not. Having said that the buck stops with dad, the book of Proverbs called children, calls children to obey the teaching of their fathers and their mothers. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. So disobedience to one is as bad as disobedience to the other. The joys and griefs of parenting belong to both fathers and mothers. You know the well-known chapter about a virtuous woman in Proverbs 31? You know where Solomon got that? Actually, King Lemuel. It says it's the fruit of what King Lemuel's mother taught him. Did you ever think about that? All that stuff about virtuous women in Proverbs 31 came from a woman. I, th- I find that interesting. So, while fathers are mentioned much more often than mothers in Proverbs, mothers are certainly not out of the picture, and a great deal of what is said about one may be said about the other. So, let's, let's look at some of the characteristics of the teaching of fathers and mothers in the book of Proverbs. This parent-teacher's teaching is earnest and urgent. It's earnest and urgent. I don't mean by this that parents are always intense when they're teaching their children. Okay? It, it, that's not a decibel level to be earnest and urgent. You can be pretty earnest and urgent with a whisper. Right? We're not talking about intense. Nor do I mean that everything should be taught with urgency. You don't teach your daughter about cooking in the same way you teach her about the importance of modesty. Right? There's, there's levels of importance. But when it comes to things like character and life issues, our children need to see and perceive that what we're teaching them is really important and there is something urgent about it that they had better pay close Attention, which will not happen if it's always last minute. Oh, I, um, uh, let's see. Okay, all right, all right. Let's read. Let's read the chapter real quick. What's er, what's earnest and urgent about that? It's 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 a last minute thought. It must be earnest and urgent. And they need to sense that. 23 times in the book of Proverbs, the writer uses the expression, my son. My son, that's an earnest, warm appeal. My son. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart heart keep my commandments. He prefaces this instruction with earnest words. Hear, O sons. And give attention. Now then, my sons, listen to me. My son, keep. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. 
My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. You know, it's a crime that some children see their parents more earnest and urgent about their jobs, their hobbies, their clothes, their sports, their cars, their decorating, their hunting, than about teaching them. It's a shame that some sons and daughters... you got to understand, okay, we had boys, so most of my illustrations are going to be dads and sons. I, I, I really try to stick moms and daughters in there and dads and daughters and moms and sons, but my world is a world of boys and out of all those 11 grandchildren there's three girls and they're as sweet and precious as the day is long and just as important as every other one but my brain thinks boys okay so please don't think i'm discounting daughters and moms all right um if your daughters see you more earnest and urgent about how your house is decorated and whether or not the floor is clean and what kind of meal you're going to prepare for the guests who are coming and and all those sorts of things that are often a mother's um, interest, then what kind of a message are we sending our kids? If you're really earnest and urgent about teaching your children, you'll work at being faithful and consistent at it. It won't be an afterthought that you only get to when you have time. You'll plan and schedule what and when you teach your children and you'll be alert to spontaneous moments to teach them. Now, please don't take that in some sort of ironclad mechanical way. Life is full of unscheduled events. Interruptions in the routine. Anybody here have just a life that is like this? Nobody? Okay, then you live in the same world I do. Life is full of all that kind of stuff. But what is the way to manage a life that's full of all this kind of interruption and stuff? It's to be organized and scheduled and planned and purposeful and specific and intentional. Okay, so that you can manage all that stuff. So don't leave the teaching of your children to be one of those spur of the moment. Oh, yeah, let's okay here. Okay, yeah, we got a couple of minutes here. Let's do something. Okay. Um, I'm making a plug here for regular family worship, among many other things. And there are lots of good resources out there for it. Anybody familiar with this book, Long Story Short? Really good, helpful family worship thing. It's got it all laid out for you. All you have to do is sit down and read it with your kids. And it takes you through, it takes you through the story of the Old Testament. It takes you through the history of redemption leading up to the coming of Christ. Really good book. Highly recommend. Long story short. Um, really, really good book. I don't have a copy here. The Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Really, this is good for littler kids and just a marvelous um, explanation of who Jesus is and what he did and what he taught. Jesus Storybook Bible. This is another, this is a really interesting book by a guy named Champ Thornton. The Radical Book for Kids. Anybody seen that? Really good. And again, it takes you through the Bible in, in a really interesting and, and fun and, and enjoyable and engaging kind of way. 
and mixed in with the journey through the Bible are are different kinds of um, oh just facts and fun kind of things to do and it's just a it's just a really well laid out um, inter- attention getting book to help you lead your kids through the story of redemption in Scripture um, um, and um, Little, little, little catechism. We use this here at school. All our kids learn this. Children's catechism. Um, these are, they're like a dollar a piece or something. They're not very expensive. And we can order these for you if you want to give your kids a good uh, catechism. The point is that if you seldom or rarely get around to teaching your children in some kind of a regular systematic way, it will matter, it will matter little how much earnestness you put in your voice. Your life will drain the earnestness right out of it. So be faithful to teach your children with earnestness and urgency. Um, Our teaching ought to be appropriately reasoned to our children. By reasoned, I mean that the writer of Proverbs often gives reasons and attaches arguments to enforce his pleas, all of which contribute to his teaching being stamped with earnestness and urgency. To be sure, there's a place for direct, simple instruction without reasons, especially when our children are smaller. Why, Dad? Because I said so. That's okay. It's not wrong to say that. If that's all we ever say to our children, then we've, we've, we've gone off to the ditch on that side. Okay, so there are times when you just need to say, and this you got to do it because I said so. Um, and there are times even when our older children need to submit without being given reasons or arguments right on the spot. But the writer of Proverbs often attaches reasons to his exhortations. My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, and let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. What's the next word? For. They are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. That's a reason. Why does he want him to be attentive to his words and incline his ear to his sayings? Because what I'm telling you, my son, is life. And it's healing. That's why you need to listen. This is more important than anything else I'm ever going to tell you. Listen to him argue the case against immorality. In Proverbs 5, 7 and 14. And now, O sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, that's the adulterous woman, and do not go near the door of her house. Why? Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength. And on and on and on and on and on he goes to tell them why you don't mess around with an adulterous woman. What's he doing? He's reinforcing what he says with reasons and arguments that impart earnestness and urgency to his teaching. There are many other examples in Proverbs, but you get the, you get the idea. Do we do this so they'll see how smart we are? No. We give them arguments and reasons so they'll see how good God is to show them the folly of sin or the wisdom of the pursuit of God. Give them reasons. The Bible does. This parent's teaching is attractive. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake him of his teaching. Indeed, 
They are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. That's attractive. Right? He's, ta- he's talking about, he's talking about, um, we would, in, in today's terms, we'd say, those are fitting accessories to make you attractive. Um, what, um, I'm looking at what's coming next here. Oh, yeah. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. But the mouth of fools spouts folly. The wise in heart will be called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasive. What do we think increases persuasiveness? (laughs) Hey, you! That was persuasive, wasn't it? It was it was ugly. Sweetness of of speech increase. Should you never raise your voice to your children? Stop! As they're about to run out into the street. Stop! As their hand is about to touch the hot burner on the stove. Of course there is. But the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. So we need, we need to make our teaching attractive. And it's not only what we say and the words we choose, but the tone, the spirit, the attitude in which we say it. This is especially true in giving reproof to our children. It's so easy to reprove our children with meanness and irritation and aggravation. It takes a lot of grace and self-control to make even our reproofs as attractive as possible. And yes, that can be done in a way that lets our children know that we are not happy with their behavior. It can. It takes a lot of grace and self-control. Yes, some of the pills our kids are going to have to swallow are bitter. No, you can't go to that movie. No, you can't wear that dress. No, you can't have the car tonight. But we don't have to give those bitter pills with a ramrod. A teaspoon of sugar makes the medicine go down, right? Make it attractive. Give them reasons. Explain. And and no, they're not always going to say, oh, thank you, Dad, that was so wise. <laughs> but does that justify flying off the handle with your kids just to get your point across? No. No. So much of this will be determined by the general atmosphere we've cultivated in our homes. Is it an atmosphere of unconditional love and acceptance? Um, okay, we started about three or four minutes late. So do you care? Three or four more minutes? Okay. Um, what's, the, what's the general atmosphere of our homes? It is an atmosphere of unconditional love and acceptance. Or is it an atmosphere of knee-jerk reactions and, and drill sergeant lectures? What's your home feel like? Does it feel like Camp Lejeune? Or does it feel like a place of warm love and acceptance? Paul Tripp in, um, in this book on parenting says, Parents seem to be upset when children demonstrate over and over again that what they need is to be parented. 
<laughs> Hello. That's true. If you walk down the hallway mad because your children need correction again, you're mad because at that moment they need whatever human being constantly needs, a parent's care. But if you walk down that hallway confessing your need of the father's care, it is more likely that you'll embrace the need of your children for the same care and you'll be tender as you give it. I am more like my children than unlike them. The reality is that there are a few struggles in the lives of my children that aren't in my life as well. Materialism, relationships, wanting my own way, attraction to the world, subtle idolatries, etc. Instead of approaching them with self-righteous outrage, I move toward them as a sinner in need of grace, needing to confront a sinner in need of grace. Is that how we come to our kids? So often the atmosphere of our homes will make what we say more or less attractive to our children. Um, all right, this is parents teaching. Oh, this was this was the this was the atmosphere of, of unconditional love and acceptance, and this is the drill sergeant guy. What are you? What am I? Our teaching must be persistent, ongoing and lifelong. He starts when his son is young and tender and impressionable, Proverbs four, three and four. Um, when I was a son with my father, tender, and the only one inside of me, he taught me and said, let your heart, when he's, when he's young and tender. And he's still teaching him when he has his own barns and produce. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Um, and by the blessing of God, that persistence will not wear off. It will pay off. In the long run, in that our children will not be able to shake our voice from their conscience. Proverbs 6. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they. What's they? The words your mother and father taught you. They will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. Man alive. I hope in that moment of teenage temptation, in that moment of truth-telling or lying, in that moment of angry outrage or self-control, I hope my kids hear my voice in their head. But only if we've been persistent and ongoing. Not hit or miss, random, whatever, but persistent, faithful, ongoing teaching of our children. I, I, hope, I hope my boys to this day, can still hear my voice in their head. Let me take some work. And as we unified, mom and dad have to be on the same page. And you know kids will work one against the other. If Johnny comes to ask, sorry, if Fred comes to ask permission for something, standard procedure is say, what did your mother say? Or if they come to mom, what did your dad say? Why? Because they've already asked the other one and didn't get the answer they wanted. And so they come to the other parent to try to get the answer they wanted. So standard procedure. Dad, Dad, can I go spend the night with so-and-so? What did your mother say? Oh, but Dad, they really want me to come. What did your mother say? No. Then the answer is no. You've got to be on the same page. That takes a lot of work. And all right, I've got to quit. We'll start right here next time. Um, it's got to be unified. 
Hear, my son, your father's instructions. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Both parents. Observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. And then what we'll start with next time is this a parent's teaching must be observant and opportunistic. That means you take advantage of what's going on around you to grab those spontaneous moments to teach your child. I gotta finish this point, okay? Uh, because we got so much to cover. Uh, this this will go really fast, okay? Um, Proverbs 24, 30 and 34. Be alert to what's going on, quick to seize teachable moments. This is when he passed by the field of the sluggard. And he taught his son from what he saw about not being lazy. Okay? He that was that was um, observant and opportunistic. He seized the opportunity. He saw something and seized the opportunity. So in chapter 1, he observed sinful companions and taught his son. In chapter 6, he watched the ways of the end. In chapter 7, he observed the ways of the naive and adulterous. In chapter 23, it was the ways of the drunkard. In chapter 26, it was the ways of the fool. In chapter 30, it was ants, badgers, locusts, and lizards teaching us the wisdom of preparation, caution, cooperation, and ambition. What a cool dad he was to take advantage of all this stuff, ordinary stuff going on all around him. So... The wise mom and dad will take advantage of what they see and they'll seize those opportunities to teach their children. So when the funeral procession goes by and cars pull off the side of the road, teachable moment about the brevity of life. Right? Natural disasters, ice storms, floods, tornadoes, drought, teachable moment. Who controls the weather? Life is fragile. The world is broken. Who's in control of all these things? A beautiful sunset. That's a teachable moment. Who made that? Who made that? Isn't it glorious? Who made that? My son? A dead bird. What's the difference between the body in that hearse and the dead bird in your backyard? All the difference in the world. A school shooting. That's Marshall County. Teachable moments. The disappointing loss in the last second of the soccer game. The awards program at school. Who gave you the ability to do that, son? Give God the glory. You were honored today. What a good thing. But where did that come from? It came God was kind to you. The referee's bad call in the game. And boy, aren't there a lot of those. Your child's friend's parents' divorce. Teachable moment. The incorrect change at the store, teachable moment. The movie you just watched together and the world view promoted, teachable moment. So when he sees an opportunity, this parent, he seizes it quickly or at least stores it up to talk about later. Keeps his eyes open for teachable moments. When I was a son of my father, then he taught me. They don't always come at convenient times. They're like Kodak moments. 30 seconds later and that picture would not have happened. Kodak moments. you got to seize the moment. Sometimes it's more important to be late for your tea time or your meeting or your dinner or your workout or your movie. Sometimes it's more important to miss the last minute of the game because you got a teachable moment staring you in the face and you got to choose. Is it the end of the world if you miss a teachable moment? No. It's the end of that teachable moment. But it's not the end of the world. But you know what happens when you start to miss teachable moments? It becomes easier and easier to miss them. And after that becomes a pattern, you don't even see them anymore. 
And before you know it, your child is gone. And so are the teachable moments with your child. So a parent's teaching is um, opportunistic. What was the other word? Observant and opportunistic. Take advantage. God dumps these moments in your lap every single day. Seize them to teach your child. Okay? All right, I apologize. We're 10 minutes late. But this is a better breaking point. Okay, and we'll come back next time to talk about this parent's teaching is aimed at the child's heart. Okay? Thank you, guys. You may go. Don't forget your kids.